Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. So, hey, Jeremy, for the last century, hard work and reliability have always been essential if you want to be successful in the oil field. Always. Today, you need real-time, actionable data that's just as reliable and hardworking as you. In order to see the full picture, you need energy intelligence you can count on. Frackscape combines advanced satellite imagery, mobile GPS, machine learning, and artificial intelligence to map the upstream supply chain in real time with pinpoint accuracy. Nice. That's crew by crew and truck by truck. Operators can avoid surprise frack hits, save money on crew costs, and benchmark their performance. Oilfield services can hunt ducks, win more deals, and beat the competition. Financial analysts don't have to wait for an earnings call to find out companies' latest moves. Don't wait. Work smarter. Work harder. And join the energy intelligence revolution. Frackscape from Sourcewater. Learn more at sourcewater.com. Sourcewater will also be presenting at Energy Tech Night on June 23rd at the Heights Theater in Houston, Texas. Grab a ticket by clicking the link in the show notes below. Hope to see you there. We started this about, what, a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago. Yep. You know, and some things remain the same and some things have changed quite a bit. Obviously, the COVID roller coaster has been kind of fun, but, Crazy. you know, we, we haven't talked on air about the changes in your career. So what is Funk Futures? What would you say you do here? Yeah, something like that. There we go. Uh, yeah, so Funk Futures, the idea of doing contract sales and marketing specifically for the energy technology industry, mostly upstream and midstream, has been a thought of mine for a while. Like when I got into oil and gas, I'd already had some experience doing um, implementing and selling SaaS and cloud technologies going back as far as like 2005 and 2006. It just wasn't anywhere near the radar of the oil and gas industry fundamentally at that time, right? So got recruited to Bolo selling oil and gas accounting software and realized, oh man, there is a lot of room for technology evolution in this space. It's behind where other markets are. So have worked at a number of different companies. You plucked me away from, from the accounting and land and production software. We got into reserves management, forecasting, uh, AFE workflows, Seven Lakes with some mobility, field data capture. I've worked at consulting firms. So sort of just had this experience across the board, various good contacts in different roles, right? A CFO here, an IT director there, an apps lead here, a VP of ops there, right? I've built a pretty good network over the years and realized, I don't just want to work for one energy tech company. I want to work for the best and have been able to put enough contracts together to really have a team behind me that helps and go out, goes out and pushes what we determine as best of breed technology solutions in oil and gas. Yeah. So how many companies are you representing right now? We've got like 15 contracts total. Um, I'd say 10 of those are some level of like 100% upside, uh, pay per meeting, commission only, you know, like a newer company that's not funded at that point. And, and some of the more established companies pay, um, you know, a pretty substantial freight for a lot of my time, a lot of lead generation, demand marketing, social media, website creation, and more. So only a couple months in, but kind of figuring out what this company really is. So researching today, I was 
you know, getting ready for this call. And I, so we have some, some guests, Becky and Sanjay, we'll get them in a second, but I'm researching them. And then I see, well, Funk Futures is related to uh, the Evolve Village. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm a villager. I introduced them to Jeremy a few weeks ago. So what is, what is that? They fell in love with me. What can you say, Tim? They fell in love with yeah, it's it, their story is awesome, and it the timing I think aligns so well with me, kind of starting something up. Um, their desire to have another villager here, sort of in the Rockies, with upstream experience, and of course, just a heavy uh, energy tech background. I've never worked at a company, believe this or not, uh, in my entire career—eighteen years, nineteen years—that's had more than one hundred and fifty people. So what, what I know is startups and small companies, and, and that's kind of what we're, on, we're doing at the uh, Evolve Collective. And I'll, I'll let uh, Becky and Sanjay jump that's, more that's into a, that. It's the, perf- the perfect segue sets right, in. Right. So, so Becky, Sanjay, I don't know which one of you wants to start. Um, what is Evolve Collective? How did you guys get to it? You know, just give us your little bio here. All righty. Um, actually, I want to say thank you for having us really quick. And um, also... Uh, Jeremy, congratulations on uh, Funk Futures. Uh, we know you're a badass sales guy, so those companies are very lucky to have you. And we're super excited to get to partner with you. So, um, Thank you. Likewise. And Evolve Collective actually started, um, Sanjay's kind of been in the energy sector for your whole career, correct? Yes. And um, we worked at an energy technology startup together, and um, we realized there was kind of gaps within uh, the consulting industry for startups. We saw we had a few bad experiences um, at that startup, which is will lead to a funny sales presentation. Um, probably our worst sales presentation we saw later. Oh, I can't but, wait! Um, I can't wait. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, and so we actually commuted in together um, to this uh, the startup downtown, and every day it was just brainstorming. Like, there's this week we, we got to do something. There's just not anything out there to really help these guys. And so, um, and Sanjay has. A ton of experience in the energy sector, and and we pulled in a team of um, people that um, that are experienced in energy to kind of build Evolve Collective, and so we we actually went for it, and um, then COVID hit, so that was fun. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been quite a ride for us. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to, I, I definitely want to get into your backgrounds and what led up to Evolve Collective and what it is, but you said something that. Just now, I fell in love with when we talked about a month ago. It's there's not a lot of consulting resources for startups, yeah. and it's really funny. And you like you know that a lot of startups fail. I have no idea what the percentages are. Maybe you guys do, but I have to imagine it's very high. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, it's not really anybody's fault. It's that you simply didn't have the skills, the experience, the wherewithal, the knowledge, wisdom, you name it, to do it. And and sometimes externally you can find that to fill the gaps. Um, so this was based on s- somewhat of a painful experience for you, but you've also seen some very positive exits and things of that nature as well. What does the profile look like of a typical villager? Yeah, so uh, again, thanks for having us on. And when we built the collective, Becky and I, and we got, uh, we got into it, we had a, a number of startups that came to us to help them ultimately get sales. And uh, I grew up as a, uh, in, in a large consulting firm and we did PowerPoint presentations and you know, we put a lot of analysis and so forth, which is what a lot of large companies really want. But when it came to the startups, one of my learnings last year as we were working uh, and getting collective off, off the ground 
is they don't really want the strategy presentations or um, talk about, you know, uh, value props and so forth, unless they actually see a pathway to actually getting to in front of customers and generating sales. And for me, that was a big light bulb moment. And um, I think Becky was also seeing some similar needs for startups to really um, link up to, to the market and connect their technologies with, uh, with the customer pain points. And so within our small collective, we realized we're doing some of this today, but we're, we have, between the few of us we had, um, you know, fairly, a good network, but not, you know, not huge. And so uh, it was really Becky's idea to really build this global business development a community to really expand what we were we were starting to do, and so we're taking the the startups into the village. Uh, we're building up this global business development uh, village network, and so happy that uh, Jeremy, you're part of that. And the idea is to really get uh, startups with really awesome technologies in front of more customers, in front in front of the right customers uh, globally, if that makes sense. I think. As far as the villager profile, it ranges from uh, we have technical experts all the way to um, former executives. Some are retired, some work full time because we're going to need all. Um, we built kind of a program that the startups will go through in the village. Um, and so we'll need the technical experts. And then we also need the, the business development team to, to network and open doors for startups. So I'd say it's very it's a wide range of people in the energy sector. All right, I'd, I'd like you to get a little bit more specific. So what is it that the collective is offering ABC, oh, that's, a, that's actually a real company, XYZ Oil and Gas Tech? What do you guys bring to them? That's a startup. What are you bringing to them that, that they don't get elsewhere, I guess? So this is, I know this can be confusing. So we have Evolve Collective, which is the consulting arm. And the Evolve Village is kind of a spinoff for startups. Um, so I know that gets a little confusing. So we have Evolve Collective, Evolve Village is a spinoff. So Evolve Village is, um, we're building a global business development team for startups. So we have over 65 villagers in, uh, 16 countries right now, because what we saw is startups need sales. And what I realized working in a startup is most of the sales came from, uh, people within the sales team network. And then after that, they, they went to cold calling or, you know, cold emails and, um, so, we, you know, tying this all connection together is we, we're in a cyclical industry. Um, there's a lot of ups and downs. We're very risk adverse. And a lot of times, um, I think it's 90% of B2B sales are actually influenced by peer recommendations. And so mm. tying all these things together, we, we were thinking, um, and actually like the, the 15 people in our team Evolve Collective has been very successful doing business development for the startups we work with. So then we were thinking, gosh, let's take this on a global level. Like let's build a hundred, you know, hundreds of people in, as villagers to really help startups kick ass and, and succeed because it's tough. Well, let me, let me try and paraphrase that and see if I get it right. Okay. So you're pulling together a strong network of very technical, very knowledgeable people from diverse backgrounds. And you're really leveraging that network of villagers to help the startups. Yes. So one of the reasons we were pulling in a lot of the technical experts, too, is we've built it's called the E3 program, because one of the things we also realize is when you're doing business development for a startup, you want to be um, you want to make sure that when you open them to your network, that 
you know, they're ready to deliver. And so um, we realized startups need a lot of help in, in different areas. And so we wanted to build a program that's beneficial to the startups, as well as gives the villagers confidence that um, they're ready for sales. And so the E3 program, they'll go through a product market fit evaluation, and that'll kind of help us um, kind of tailor their product market fit. And that's where we're, we're going to need some of the technical awesome. experts and, 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 and business leaders. And so the technical experts will come in there, but also as startups need help along the way, they can't just hire somebody full time, um, you know, an expert that they need. And so we'll, we'll have the ability to pull in the right people at the right time within the village to help them out. Yeah. One of the worst things that a startup can do is get that first big customer. And then they, they all st- sit around, look at each other and go, holy crap, we can't do this. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you're absolutely right, Tim. Like, we, we're going to be very uh, partnered up with the startup and help them. If it's making early sales, you know, one of the first sales, we want to make sure that we do everything we can to make sure that that project goes off successfully. Because if they, uh, if the technology doesn't quite work or uh, they set expectations way beyond their capabilities and they can't deliver and you have an unhappy customer, that's, you know, sometimes we say that's almost worse than getting the sale in the first place because that that customer is not going to you know continue scaling, and then the word gets out. So, uh, what Becky's describing the E three part of the program, that upfront piece, is we just want to really help the startup get very prepared for going out to the villagers and ultimately out to this market, and prepared from being able to communicate the, the value they're bringing, the problems they're solving, to being able to deliver that, and we'll help them as much as they need every step of that way. That's, that's, it's awesome. This, this conversation is near and dear to my heart, of course, too, because a, a lot of what I'm trying to provide is, is, is somewhat similar. I mean, there's minimal overlap, but it's a means of, you think you have something that is good, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody truly believes that whatever product they've created, whatever service they've created is unique and beneficial and special, right? Yes. So whether or not that's true, you're going to find out. Do you want to find out the hard way, right? Or do you want to find out maybe, uh, you know, fractionally with experts? And I think the market is generally moving in that direction. Now, right? There's a lot of great tools that never got out. Yes. They, they yes. fail at the, they fail at that first sale. Yes. Um, and that's what the, the first part product market fit of our phase one of the E3 program. Right. Is, I love that. It's being able to pull, like have access to all of these villagers and being able to pull eight to 10 in. And so we're going to pull eight to 10 in, maybe more um, as we get, you know, as we grow um, and really have them kind of evaluate the, the technology and help the founder with a product market fit. And, and it may be, you know, you're, we need to adjust your pricing. We need to change your, you know, adjust your market, or it may be, you know, maybe there's not a product market fit and um, it, it gives the founder a chance to do something different before before they move on and spend a lot of time and energy on something. But essentially what we want to do is help them make sure that their um, product market fit will succeed in the village and beyond. And so um, I, we, what we've been doing is with the, the clients we're working with now is we're pulling in our network to help with this. And you're calling on the same people all the time. And sometimes I feel like we don't have the right people to help with this. And so that's another reason to grow the village is just to actually pull in uh, the right people to help with the product market fit evaluation. So Becky, I, I'm going to go back to some backgrounds here. Okay. So you haven't always been, well, on your website, you guys describe it as left brain, right brain, but you, you haven't always been kind of oil and gas. What's, what is your background, I guess? 
Yeah. So um, I grew up in Oklahoma and then moved to Texas about eight years ago. So, I mean, the oil and gas industry was just part of life. Um, family's been in it. Everybody's been in it. I was actually, um, I was going to, I went to school to be a doctor, uh, but I realized very quickly my freshman year, that was my dad's dream and not mine. And so um, I flailed around for several years, ended up landing in photojournalism and loved it. Um, so I, I was a wedding photographer for several years and ran wedding photography business. Um, and then eventually kind of knew I needed, I just was ready kind of for change. Uh, it gets a little lonely editing all week alone. And then I got to the point where you can't really scale. I mean, when somebody hires Becky Wilman uh, for their wedding, they want Becky Wilman to show up. And so um, I kind of hit where I was shooting a lot of weddings and just wanted to do something different. And so um, I shifted to um, marketing because I worked on some marketing projects with Sanjay. And so I continued doing some of those. Eventually, he introduced me to a start, the startup um, technology uh, company that we worked at together. And I was actually I was hooked. So uh, it was very I don't know. I love working with I think I've been an entrepreneur most of my life. So I love working with entrepreneurs. But um, it, I've just I was hooked and obsessed ever since then. So. Now, I don't want to put you guys on the spot, but that's three times we've mentioned this startup and we're not mentioning the name. Are we being cagey about this? <laughs> well, we can no, it. it's Biota Technology. They're, okay, okay. I see it in the LinkedIn profile. I was like, why are we not saying the name? <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry. Well, th- this is really good stuff. And Becky, you said something, I think about five minutes ago. Tim's just so excited about this conversation. He keeps hey. cutting me off. But that no no big deal. We we allow for that sometimes here on tripping over the barrel. One person wants to talk more than the other one. Tim's over there sipping on a uh, on a beer. It's Friday afternoon before a long weekend. This is a this is a fun one. So you said something, Becky, that really resonated with me, which is, what do you need at startups? You need revenue. Well, to take that even a step back, like especially if you're given some money, it turns out investors want their money back. Mm-hmm. Like oftentimes, and then some, and the way that you get that back is more with revenue than it is product or anything else. At the end of the day, that's what they're going to care about. Right. Yeah. So even just instilling that mindset in the technical founder so that it doesn't just become this massive shift of pressure when all of a sudden you have quarterly uh, financial presentations and you're responsible for having sold $10 million of new stuff in the last three months. Right. Cause yeah. the CEO is still the glorified chief revenue officer at the end of the day. Yeah, I I totally agree with that because uh, I you know we've we've all seen where a uh, a startup takes investments from VCs and others and then they're under pressure to sell and if those sales don't come in uh, as as people expect then it turns into this sort of uh, I don't I you know maybe nasty nasty churn yeah. the churn it's yeah. a churn and then you get into you know doing a massive amount of um, you know, cold calling, cold emails, and then it it just it just ends up being really, uh, you know, really goes down a spiral, and that's a difficult situation. And so, one of the aspects that we really thought hard about is how do we help the startups ultimately get sales and uh, and not just jump into the market, but actually go through the product market fit, like Becky was talking about, and making sure that they could deliver and doing a, you know. It, it's a few weeks uh, exercise, but it's we think it's so uh, important for some startups to go through that, or all of the ones that'll be in the village to go through that, because it'll ultimately set them up for better sales success down the road. 
I really like, I, I love your approach because I've seen companies that get some funding mm-hmm. and they, they've got a technology, they made a couple initial sales and they think they're at that crossing the chasm point. So that basically, all right, let's go flood it with, let's get five sales guys and just yeah. go hit it. Yes. And they may or may not be ready. The technology ready. They may not be ready to scale. So there's a, there's a balance somewhere in there. And I think what you're, yeah. I, I'm, again, I'm trying to put words in your mouth here, but you're, you're helping with that balance is, Hey, you may not need 15 sales guys to go do this or do let's, there's a better way to approach this market in your early days as you're trying to cross that chasm. Yes. Yes. I think, I mean, we saw that too. It's just, uh, when the they just hire more salespeople, right? Let's growth is more salespeople, but also throw more salespeople at it. Yes. And then, you know, I mean, they're, you know, they would connect within their network, maybe get a few sales, but after that, you know, they've run out of the Rolodex. So then they're cold calling and cold email. And it's yep. it's a brutal cycle. But also at the same time, um, I mean the, the startup founders under a lot of pressure and and it's it, it gets to a desperation point, right? Because they um they may have a great technology and they're brilliant, but they just need the right people in the right network to help them succeed. And you got it. And you got it. This is not like um, the stock market where if you ultimately play over the long term, you'll prevail what ten percent, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This you have to time it right, both with product market fit as well as exit. Because I've seen companies that have done really well with something in an up market and feel like, well, people are spending this money. They're just figuring out what we are. We're a twenty million dollar company trying to sell their company for a million dollars. A yeah. few years later, right? And it's sad to say that, but it's yeah. it, it's the reality. Yep. And then, and Jeremy, one of the uh, one of the, part of our research when we were building or thinking about the village is we went and looked at failure rates for startups, and it's pretty high. Do you, do you have those numbers? Do you know? Yeah, it's it's upwards. It's between eighty five and ninety percent. Oh my god! Wow. I was going to say seven, like low seventies. And then what blew wow. mine really was. You would think, or I thought that the higher you'd have a higher percentage of failure the earlier you are, and when you make it to the B round and C round, uh, your chances of failure drop dramatically, and it does drop a little bit, but not much. And the way I think about it is that you, when you get, come out of the gate, you're looking for early adopters. You make it past you, you, you get those early adopters, and you get to scale a little bit, and then you're asked by your investors and others to go and get more customers and scale from there. And then you're asked to go into a new market and then scale within that market. And then you're asked to go internationally and, and scale. And anytime you you may slip and fall in any one of those step-ups, it can can result in a really difficult situation. And so one of the things in our village is, and Becky mentioned, we have uh, 16 countries represented and we want to grow that even more, is when a startup's ready to make that move into the next step, like internationally uh, or with a new product offer. Yeah, you got that. We can you got that. that. So and reduce that chance of failure because there's still risk at that stage. Uh, and we want to reduce that that failure rate and make every, provide that start with every chance of succeeding. Well, there, there is a very crossing the chasm sound to this. I don't know if anyone who's read the book Crossing the Chasm, this each step there's a cliff to fall off, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And very few early adopters. That's, that's what has always stuck yeah. out to me about that is you, you, that was so frustrating to me earlier on, even at Navigator, right? Which AFE Navigator is now like probably the most widely used AFE workflow product in the upstream oil and gas industry. But it was so challenging then because we had to wait basically for it to become when the fast followers and the laggards start picking it up. 
Yeah, you're everybody's waiting for somebody else to try it first, right? And so Yeah, you do it. Yeah. But actually one thing we did notice is a lot of the smaller operators are really amazing at being the early adopters. And so I think as a startup, you're you like you Im- immediately go after the big guys, right? But they're expecting something off the shelf, ready to go and, yep. and not necessarily willing to to work with you. There's a lot of silos within that company. But the smaller operators are um, amazing at working with these startups. And so, you know, we always recommend kind of building up that way because the the smaller operators are very excited to work with startups, um, willing to help them, uh, you know, give feedback and and change things what more, they need to do. And so more loyal, I, more loyal, maybe. Yes. yes. I, I, I think it, there's a, I want to just add to it's the small companies with vision. Yes. Because yeah. it takes the right person in that small company with the right vision to really be able to attach, you know, Hillcorp for a number of years when they were small, that's what their MO was. We want to attach ourselves to a small software company so we can get them to build exactly what we need. And they, they did that frequently. That was just the way they worked. And so it was a great place to go kind of incubate your technology. Yeah. And you need a champion in there to kind of push it forward. Right. Especially sometimes it's a long sell cycle and, people move around jobs, right? So you may spend years getting in somewhere and then that person leaves. And so um, you need some champions in there. And that's another reason we thought of the village is just uh, somebody with a network within that company can be the champion there, no matter, you know, who's working. Yeah. It's people. One of the things that I thought was really fascinating about you guys had a fun, like, what was it like a lunchtime happy hour? Basically. Yeah. And for all the villagers and and I was thinking, I, I, it was a little early here, so I didn't, and it was midweek, I think. So I didn't partake. I may have been tempted. Some did, but the point is, we, um, at one point, Becky, you broke everybody out into different rooms and in the room I was in, it, it was me in Colorado, one person in Houston, some dude in Italy, some dude that was in like France or something. And it's like, okay, all right. We got different accents, different ages, mm-hmm. different personalities. And I think that's, that's incredibly valuable too is knowing how to navigate the generational chain since there's so much to be gained from each segment. Yes. Yes. I really, I mean, we want to just build this kick-ass community of that the villagers also gain things, you know, gain value out of it too, as well as the startups. Right. And so um, just a very supportive community within the villagers, within the startups. And, and so I, it was very fun. That was our first happy hour call. And so it's super fun because you got this, and the reason we had it so early in the day is because we had to figure out what time we could do where, I mean, we're having a global happy hour, right? So it's five o'clock somewhere. And so, you know, we have the somebody in France and somebody in Brazil. And so, you know, figuring out, uh, it was super fun uh, to see that. So I hadn't told Becky this because it takes, Be- Becky does a lot of organizing for her events like that. But there's a new villager who just joined um, last week who wasn't in time for that happy hour. But he, the first thing he said was, I heard you guys have really cool happy hours. When's the next one? So I was going to awesome. put Becky when she's a little less busy and see when we could have the next one. So so I I have a startup. I'm not going to tell you guys the idea because I'm going to flip this company in 12 months for for 100x. But um, so so I've got this brilliant idea, I think, right? I want to mm-hmm. vet it out and understand product market fit. Mm-hmm. What do I do? How do I, you know, how do I get a hold of you? What's the process? Like, tell me what the early stages of the process look like and then what a, a best case outcome would be for both parties. So actually what we've done is we've built 
phase one and phase two is separate within the E3 program. So phase one is just product market fit. And we did leadership um, evaluation. And basically that's giving the, the leadership a, a discovery insights, um, kind of a personality test to figure out you know, where they fall. So as they grow, they're able to see their strengths and weaknesses. Because um, I think that's super important as far as, because you're coming in and you're trying to grow a startup. Uh, you know, you're not you're not uh, always ready to, uh, you know, basically like leadership is such a huge part of growing your company. And so we wanted to bring in the right leadership coaches to help them grow. But a, that part of it is just a small piece. Mainly it's the product market fit evaluation. And that is um, what if you're you have an idea, basically, we could just do that part of it even leave out the leadership part. And so we could pull in the right people that could help you figure out, is there a product market fit? If so, what is it? And what's the best way to go about it? I'm, I am so intrigued by this whole process. And I, I haven't heard anybody talking about something like this. Do you guys have people that are, are competitors doing anything similar to this as far as you know? I, we don't. And so that's what, when we're talking to the villagers, they're like, gosh, I can't believe this hasn't been done yet. Why hasn't this been done yet? Um, but no, we haven't heard anything. We, we have a lot of people ask if we're accelerator and incubator. And we say, no, we're not. Um, our commercial model is actually built okay. around mainly around the sales commissions for startups. So we have skin in the game as well as the villagers. Mm -hmm. And so, um, no, we haven't heard of anything like it, honestly. So, so is, is there an investment arm? You know, so that we get that question a lot too. And so the answer is not quite yet. Not yet. We are building for that because when we we started the village, we said, like Jeremy said, uh, you know, sales is so important. So we wanted to focus on the business development and provide the startups with every possibility of taking their uh, product or service into the market and giving every chance to succeed. And so we want to, at this point, focus on sales. But that being said, we recognize that startups do need capital from time to time to scale and add to their delivery capabilities, et cetera. And so our intent is to build uh, an ability to reach out uh, to VCs and angel investors nice. as part of the village. And we are adding, there, it's interesting because as I'm getting to know our villagers, there are several that have come and said, hey, uh, I, I'm interested in investing in startups. So they could be, potentially angel investors and help out earlier stage startups yeah, like that. bringing in VCs as well uh, as sort of the next push to, to build out the, the village um, so that the startups have access to capital. So that's what you need for your startup, Jeremy. Yep. In time, <laughs> not yet. Right. Isn't that what we say? Yeah. Sanjay, not, not quite not, yet. Not yeah, yet. Quite <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so Sanjay, you didn't go too, too deep into your background. So I, I do want you to jump into that, but I also wanted to say this. I, it was a pleasure to meet you guys in person at nice. the, uh, at the digital wildcatters crawfish board. Yes. They were there. We looked yeah, for you. Didn't I, I thought I brought you over to them No, oh, I think near, near the cornhole area. Oh, we missed you. I like so many people there. I missed so many people. Yeah, I know. It was a great crowd. Yes, it, it was. It was it was fantastic. So meeting you guys in person was great. But Sanjay, one of the things we talked about was uh, you know, I gave you sort of my story. I went to Brandeis just outside yeah. of Boston and you visited the campus. Like your daughter or, or child was looking at Tufts <laughs> yeah. and Brandeis and some other places. Like talk to me. Oh yeah. So she's just now graduating from Tufts. 
But no, I'm kidding. Florida have, uh, yeah, sorry. sorry Jerry. It's like the, the cousin university to Brandeis. They're very similar. I know exactly where Tufts is, though, because Medford. that's where Spotfire's headquarters were oh, just no down kidding. the street. Yeah, right, no, off of, no. right off of Davis Square there in, uh, okay. in whatever. Suddenly, I can't remember the name. Somerville. Somerville, Somerville kid. Yeah, like Davis Square is just a quaint little square. It's kind of cool. But yeah, but you know, we went through the college search process, and and my daughter grew up in in the woodlands and went K through twelve here, and uh, she was eager to get out. And Boston was one of her favorite cities, so we toured just about every campus in the Boston area, and she applied to most of them, and then ended up choosing Tufts. Sorry, Jeremy, but she's uh, got to. Uh, she had to get a winter coat though. She did. That's what I said. Yeah. It is cold up there yeah. during the school year. Yes. But what's funny is every time she came back for the winter break, they had the coldest weather while she was back here. <laughs> so I think she just perfect. Yeah, just perfect. <laughs> and then she gets accused of bringing it down. Yeah. <laughs> like, I actually remember that, like seeing parents and kids visiting when they were in college. I'm like, that actually looks like fun as a, as a parent. You get to sort of see what the universities look like. Give your two cents, but ultimately you're going to give your thousands of dollars. So your two cents. Will yeah. Be so yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's, that's cool. Well, Sanjay, take us, take us back a little bit. What's, what's your history and what, what took you to um, obviously to, to Becky and now this uh, collective. Sure. And Barkley. I mean, he's a hippie. <laughs> Are we sure? Oh, I don't know. No, Moved to Houston the first chance he got. I'm probably the least hippiest guy that went to Berkeley. <laughs> you know, well, someday you got to ask him about his Go Bear Go story, just saying, from Berkeley, but go ahead and tell your... Now Bears, Go Bears, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I went I went to Berkeley, and I was... The one thing I have in common with Becky is I was also pre-med, but realized pretty quickly um, a combination of really bad grades and just not being passionate about biology and other topics uh, led me to go back to the, the whiteboard and... I ended up in chemical engineering. Um, I knew I wanted to do engineering because I felt like I was more, you know, technical and not memorization. And, and I like the business aspect. Um, but with my low grades, the only department that would let me in engineering was chemical engineering at the time. And I remember taking my transcript and the application to transfer into that department. And he looked at it and he's like, your grades aren't that great, but we're, we just don't have that many chem- chemical inter- people interested in chemicals. <laughs> that of- was like petroleum engineering in 1989, which was, oh, you took yeah. the SAT. Come on in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No matter what the score was, you took yeah. it? Yeah, come on in. <laughs> exactly. You know what the guy who finished last at, at Harvard in that medical school is called? Doctor. 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 Yeah. <laughs> So I, I went into uh, chemical engineering. I worked as a process plant. I really, uh, I didn't really like process engineering too much. It was, it was way too technical for me. And so I ended up in upstream um, working as a reservoir engineer. And so Tim, you were alluding, nobody wanted to go into petroleum engineering. That's exactly what happened when I got out in the early nineties. And I worked for a company called Arc Oil and Gas that and they couldn't find PE, so they were like, oh, we'll go hire some chemis and mechanical and convert them into reservoir. Um, so that's what they did. And I really enjoyed uh, the whole upstream you know, reservoir engineering aspects. And But uh, we went through so many cycles. In, in the three years I was at ARCO, we probably went through eight restructuring. And so I, I decided I need to get out. And so I went to business school. But as I was finishing up business school, I couldn't tear my way 
from the energy industry. I said, I really want to come back. So it's something that's always drawn me to it. And so after business school, I worked at uh, Booz Allen Hamilton, which is a large consulting firm in the energy practice. And I got- Wait, wait where'd you go to business school? I was Chicago. Oh, nice. Another nice. cool place where I, yeah, that was, <laughs> that's what we called it in Boston. <laughs> awesome, awesome schools though, right? Yeah. I mean, did, was it hard? Like I found Brandeis to be really hard just for the record. And I, I've said that a few times. And I mean, I'm I guessing can you would find any university hard, Jeremy. That may or may not be true. It may <laughs> likely, but I found, I found it to be incredibly challenging at a small private university with lots mm-hmm. and lots of reading. And there's just no shortcut, right? Either you do the work or, or you don't. Um, what did you feel like at, at those schools? Were those more kind of science heavy, business heavy combination? Is, is that um, what made you? Yeah, I mean, Berkeley was very technically, uh, you know, researchy heavy. And so a lot of professors would go through the research and you had to. So it wasn't as practical as like A&M, as what I've heard in their engineering programs. As like, um, <laughs> so I found that very challenging. I really enjoyed business school. I think it fits me better um, from just a business strategic perspective and uh, having gone through a rigorous, you know, engineering program and then going to business school was just it was a lot easier. Plus, I was at a different point in my life. It was just more social, can get out more. And and I know he won't say this, but he graduated with honors, so I have to throw that in there. Oh, what's up? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he said it on his LinkedIn. It says highest honors. <laughs> what does that even mean? You should. If I graduated there with highest honors, I think I would say that all the time. But I, no, I wouldn't. But I would get a tattooed on my back. Yes, yes. I wanted to throw that in there. Highest honors. Now that you're blushing, but it's okay. Thank you. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. All right. So you, a lot of focus, you know, talking about revenue and sales and, you know, getting revenue to these startups. You guys had to have been part of some big sales presentations you know, and we ask this of a lot of our of our guys that have are in on sales. Just fucked it up when you walk just us through those fun ones that either failed or were just funny because you know something strange happened. I mean, I've got a ton of my background. I'm guess I'm guessing you got plenty. <laughs> oh my gosh, probably the thing that probably the sales presentation that catapulted evolve was when we were at Biota. Um, we had a consulting firm come in and do a presentation. One guy. And I was literally thinking there had to have been hidden cameras. It was so insane. I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it, but it was so insane. You guys thought you were being punked? I did. I did. Uh I I kept looking around thinking, this cannot be real right now. Like, is this dude joking? But Uh, Details. Come on. He made certain gestures. uh, Let's just. He he was trying to say that uh, if somebody has a cool technology, they could take it to the customer. The customer would bend over. Um, Whoa! Oh, oh, no, not only did he say that, he bent over and did gestures. No, he did not. Yes, yes. That reinforced our idea that there has to be a better uh, model to help startups. I'm telling you, I wish I could have videoed the sales presentation. because He must have lost it the next day. He went Michael Douglas falling down the next day. I, oh man! I don't. It was like he was talking about things swinging around. Like I don't want to get. Too- oh, oh <laughs> no! I'm telling you, I looked at my coworker Jen, and we were just thinking, I can't believe this just happened. Like this literally just happened. So, um, and of course, you know, I'm coming out of the wedding industry, and I'm thinking, is this the corporate? Like, is this 
Is this real life? Oh, it, you went back to 1975 sales. I, I, you know. Yeah. Was, what's what's that movie with Alec Baldwin when he's teaching the car sales guys? What's what is the name of that? Always be selling or something like oh, that. Oh, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Uh, or yeah, movie. But it just takes me back to some of those. Th- you know, just some of the the mentality of guys in the in the industry. So, I mean, how long ago was this? Oh gosh, three years, three ago. years ago. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it's 1987. Too. <laughs> yeah. I, so I was kind of new at the company and, and, you know, a little quieter didn't. And so as soon as he left, I said, you cannot hire that guy. I mean, it was just oh like, you cannot hire that guy. You do not want him representing you. And so it, it was absolutely insane. I really wish but, I pulled out my video camera. Oh, this guy didn't have the situational awareness to, to check. I mean, it clues a mixed audience anyway to, to make the assumption you can talk like that is crazy. Yeah. You know, he had, he, and he claimed to have so many customer connections that I think that's how he got into a lot of startups is he said he can make all these connections. He has a network. And I said, that's bullshit. What he's going to do is call in a week and ask us our connections. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> It was me. It was me, Tim. It was me. (laughs) You know, you know whose name crossed my mind, Jeremy. (laughs) You know whose name crossed my mind. I'm not going to say it on air, but we can talk about it later. No, please, no names. Oh my God, I we could talk to you guys all day. We really could. I mean, this is a this is a ton of fun, Sanjay. I do want to I want to close it out with this, right? You said something uh, at, at a meeting not too long ago about there's really sort of three people that steer the one of you drives the ship one of you steers the ship one 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 is the engine how did you describe that because i want to reuse it do you know what i'm talking about oh all salespeople steal stuff so let's let's hear that give us some some the wisdom yeah so we were describing roles um that we have within the village amongst our team and uh one's a visionary and tells us where we're going uh one is the, the other role is uh, with that vision is keeping everything on the tracks so we could achieve that vision. Really the nitty gritty day-to-day project management. Um, the others looking out towards the, uh, the future and looking outside and saying, what else is out there that we need to incorporate within the vision? Are there other people or companies that we need to partner with? So those are the three roles. Actually, there was four. because. Yeah, you had the... Oh, and then, the, oh, yeah, sorry. Too much beer already. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> is the actual you know, uh, detailing out processes and making everything run better. So the continuous improvement aspect. And I think you even said, like, Rob is like the, the, the why the hell are you on a physical train anyways? It should be a digital. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I yeah. don't know. Physical so, trains can be cool sometimes. I think it's still a physical trains. So like, last I checked. yeah, yeah. We still have trains. <laughs> yeah. Well, appreciate you guys coming on. Where can people find you? What's a, what's a good um, uh, website? Any additional information you want to drop on people before we let them go? So we're actually launching the Evolve Village in June. So still building out the website, but um, you can go to evolve-village.com and kind of sign up for the latest and greatest updates. Uh, and then check back in June because our, our full website will be up. And we're actually listing all of the villagers that we have, um, as well as bios for each of them. Including me. Yeah. Yes. Jeremy's in there. Well done, guys. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you Absolutely. so much Thank for you. having us. Thank really you. Really enjoyed it.